0: I acknowledge that the land I work, live, and play on is the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil Nations. nations. Where, where did you grow up?
1: I come from a very small town. Well, not very small, but a small town called Woodstock, Ontario. I don't know how to describe the city other than... Okay, so we have a cow statue in oh, the yeah? city. And it's not even a giant cow statue. It's just a life-sized cow statue. So that's the kind of town that I'm talking about. What is it made of? Is it like a
0: bronze statue? I,
1: just metal. Just like painted <laughs> to look like a cow. Like, that. that's what it is.
0: There's a, a, a town um, <laughs> called Margaret River that's three hours south of where I'm from in Australia... And there used to be a big dairy factory there, like a Brown- Browns is the company, and it shut down. And they had tons of uh, cow statues. And now they're just scattered all over Margaret River, Bustleton, and places down there. And they're just painted different ways. Like, there's maybe a hundred of them. And there's heaps at this brewery, and they've all been painted so they're like beer with head on the top. Okay, that's better. Anyway, it's a, it's a cool little thing.
1: <laughs> Ours... Because, like, I guess Woodstock tried to bill itself as the dairy capital of Canada. This was, like, a record-setting cow that they have built a statue of. Right. And so it's a is, small... Is it big? No! It, like, it's it's literally just the size of a normal cow, this statue. And there was a huge issue that rose up because they wanted to move it, like, 40 feet to a different area.
0: And it's and heritage listed.
1: I, I guess. Like, there's <laughs> a whole thing about this this cow statue... But I'm just using that to describe, like, this town is not big. When I was there, it was, like, 28,000, 30,000 people. It's probably grown now because it has a Toyota plant. Big, big car factory place now. Uh, But it gets cold there. Not, like, abominably cold, but much colder than Vancouver. And way more snow.
0: I think it was supposed to get to something like minus 14 last night.
1: Yeah. I I don't know if it did. It was kind of windy, so I wouldn't I've never experienced
0: anything worse than minus 15.
1: I was in north bay ontario for university i was studying criminology at the university there and it would get to like minus 30 minus 35 plus wind in the winter uh that's miserable that's like the kind of cold but what is that actually like because i I've, okay i've well, never
0: actually experienced anything so harsh i mean i've done 48 plus I mean, but that's, that sounds awful yeah you just shut down
1: well just imagine you walk outside and immediately your boogers freeze like, that's just the right. feeling, like the sharp feeling in your nose of everything freezing up in there. And it it's oppressive, but you do get used to it. You just bundle up and kind of do your own yeah. thing. It just, it made everything slower.
0: Just a little bit more difficult. Yeah, because
1: I, I hate, bundles. like, I'm not a big guy. I'm very, very tiny. So I'd have to wear multiple layers. I'm wearing, like, fleece underwear, a shirt, and then, like, a fleece sweater on top, and then a jacket, scarves, toques. Uh, yeah,
0: I'm finding myself pretty viciously underprepared here. I had to buy some jeans the other day because I only had sweatpants and it was too cold.
1: Oh god, yeah, those won't work. Yeah, I mean, I, I typically just wear jeans all weather. I don't I don't have a care.
0: Yeah. I haven't actually owned it's... jeans in three years, but
1: but what happened in North Bay was I was doing uh, winter warfare training with the military and I froze my hands solid. Like,
0: like actually. Actually solid. Like they
1: were they were solid white. So there's the scale the stages of frostbite are it's like red and then white and then black. Yeah. Black is when the tissue's dead. So I had like been working outside, we were just practicing building Arctic tents and it's one of those things you don't feel coming because like you'll be tingly for a while, but then you just lose all sensation in your hands and you don't notice that they're not working yeah so like when i went inside briefly and took my gloves off i was like surprised they were from the wrist up they were just completely white and like lightly tapping it on the table it was like the knocking of wood so <laughs> it terrified me i'm like oh shit i'm gonna lose my hands uh luckily i have as you can see all my fingers yes uh, very did quite a bit of nerve damage so i have decreased sensation in all my fingers and they still get colds like I can feel it first in my hands when it gets cold out here. Do you, do you get
0: paranoid every time your hands start getting cold?
1: Dude, I, I get super worried. Like, even in, like, five-degree weather, like the normal Vancouver winter, my hands are going to start getting really, really cold, and I'll feel it starting from, like, the pinky in, because yeah. those ones are the, the worst, and I'll already start feeling it, like, tingling and getting cold, and no matter what, I, like, put it in my, my armpits or stuff I'm in my pocket, and I can still feel, like, the, the cold. How, how
0: do they fix it when they get that cold to the the white level of frostbite do you can you just warm them up or have you got to be careful
1: you have to be careful because you don't want to use super hot stuff because you won't be able to feel it so you'll probably just burn yourself worse because frostbite is still a burn yeah uh so all you do is you just gently slowly warm them up and kind of start wiggling them when you can but you don't want to be too vigorous with it in case part of it is still frozen so you've got to just slowly slowly warm up your hands uh and then go to a hospital
0: if you lose your hand in active service, do you get a medal?
1: I I don't know how that would go. I I think if you lose it, in like on a tour, then yes. But right. if you're just on a training exercise, I mean, there's like prob-
0: same injury. Just depends on locale.
1: Yeah, I think it really depends on, on where you're at. It, if you lose it in an exercise, they're just gonna be like, dude, you're kind of an idiot. So here's some money, uh, but you're not gonna be able to serve anymore.
0: Well, I guess people listening might be pretty curious as to who you are, who I'm talking to today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, welcome to Van. X Van. Uh, I believe this is episode 64. I'm your host, Doug Vandeley, and I'm joined today by Vancouver-based actor and musician, Matt Afonso. Hey. Did I say that right, Afonso? I've yeah. never encountered the name before.
1: It's the... Yeah. Is it
0: right. as it's spelled, but you never know.
1: Yeah, there's a couple different pronunciations of it that I'll get from my, my grandmother or my father, but go with Afonso. It's
0: good Okay. Enough. What are the other ones?
1: Alfonso. Uh, okay. Without So essentially with the accent without the O, or you could put the emphasis on Alfonso. But right. it really, we just go by Alfonso. It's that works. rolls right off the tongue.
0: Yeah, say it how it's spelled. It's an easy way to do it.
1: Yeah, just don't put the L in it. I have about four credits on IMDB where they have misspelled my last That's name. as like Alfonso? Alfonso. Right. So I've had to go through and like change them all, and even when they're creating my profiles on IMDb, they always create separate ones and you have to merge them all together for every production. And I have to constantly go through, like, this is me. They've just spelled the name wrong. We try and put it back under my profile. Do you
0: have to prove that you're verified that it's you, Matt doing that Not... to IMDb?
1: No, because usually all I say is when they're, they're asking about an edit, I'm like, in the notes, it's like, yo, it's me. I know what I'm talking about. And then yeah. I've never had a problem. It was just, I had like six or seven different matt alfonso's or someone put a t in my name once it was a huh. so i just had to like combine them that all. that one's
0: somewhere. pretty far from reality
1: I, yeah but i guess the f can look like a t i don't know
0: right in like a handwriting scenario
1: i don't know how it happened so yeah if you go through my imdb you're gonna see there's various spellings of my last name because it'll say like matt alfonso but credited as matt alfonso or matthew alfonso or matt atonso
0: well, I did go through your IMDb uh, <laughs> researching today. You, you played a recurring role on DC's The Flash.
1: Uh, yeah, I did as, do that
0: as Mortimer Gloom, aka the Weeper.
1: I yeah, I don't. They never mentioned his his real name, Mortimer right. Gloom. Uh, it was always just Weeper, and it was just interesting because I when I got the part, I was not sure who this guy was. Right, I'd never heard of Weeper. Um, so I started doing the research, Mortimer Gloom. I was like, oh, this is a very interesting character. And they obviously on the show, they went a different way. And I know that they, they changed showrunners, I think after that season as well. So the character was a ton of fun to play. It was a very interesting role that I never expected I would get. Um, I don't know if you saw the episodes. I haven't actually watched the Flash. Um, okay. I don't have a whole lot of dialogue. I spend the episodes that I'm in. I spend every moment on screen crying. Right. Uh, and that is the character's superpower.
0: Is He it sounds like a villain, is he?
1: Well, Mortimer Gloom in the comics was a villain. In the show, the brief snippets that we get of him, he was kind of just a victim of circumstance. Right. And I would have loved to see if they would go in the direction of, like, how this victim of circumstance could become a villain. You know, you always, as an actor, want your characters to have more life and more going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But my guy was in predominantly in the episode Girls' Night Out, I believe is what it was called. So it was uh, an all-female episode highlighting all the tremendous female actors and characters on the show. They brought in Katie Sackhoff for that episode. Um, And the idea being, the the Weeper had been kidnapped by the Thinker, who was one of the main villains of that season. And I'm not fully aware of what the Thinker's plan with him was, but the Weeper at the time was being tortured... Uh, at a club, and his tears are actually a psychoactive substance. So, like, if they would collect his tears and use them as a drug for all the club goers. It was like a love drug, and it made that everyone... That sounds great. It sounds super I wish cool. I my tears did that. It would actually be <laughs> useful. <laughs> when I'm crying alone in the shower at home, I can at least give myself my own hit. Yeah. That would be great. But, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was just a challenge, because crying all day, every day took a lot out of me.
0: So you can, you can cry on command? Uh,
1: for the first little while I was. Uh, was, it, was the audition
0: just going and sob?
1: This is what caught me off guard, right? Like, the audition had no lines. And right. when you read the breakdown, they're like, recurring character. So in my head, I'm like, okay, he's going to have dialogue. He's going to have, like, all this shit. And I look at the sides, like, there's no lines. It's just practical, like, physical activity. Yeah. And essentially, when you get in there, they're like, all right, we just need you to, uh, to look real sad at the camera. <laughs> like, that was it. So yeah. I was surprised when i booked that because it's just not something i could get a feel for in the room when i'm when i've got dialogue and i can like create a full character in the room through through the dialogue uh i always feel better about it but then again this was a quite an interesting challenge of creating a full character who has all this life and whatnot but only in what is essentially like a 10 second audition where you cry so that was actually a unique challenge to allow myself to um like find a character within that and present something that's more than just look at camera cry, but that you can see that there's more going on. So that that was a fun challenge.
0: Yeah, it seems like a really interesting one. I know when when I used to act, it was purely purely amateur like uh, theater acting. I could cry and be sad, but I could never laugh on command, <laughs> which I think a lot of people find a lot easier.
1: I, I guess it could be, for some people, it could be really, really awkward to just try and, and, and laugh on command.
0: because It just it, sounds too fake for it, me.
1: It, yeah. yeah. And I find that problem when I'm doing anything where I have to smile. Like, really? Even in stills photography. Well, I
0: guess it's how you got that job.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I just look sad all the time. But
0: it was... You're kind of the, the, the Jon Snow brood going.
1: I, I do have the brooding look, and I have been compared to Jon Snow several times at work in my day job. But, yeah, smiling and laughing... You're right. Like I always feel like it's not genuine. So my trick when I'm like smiling at a photo is I'm trying to make myself laugh. And I found that that
0: do you you have a go
1: to to scenario? Uh, I don't have a go to scenario. Usually it's just something like I make a witticism about something that happened in the day or I'm remembering a stupid moment throughout the day. But that's, I think it's actually probably harder for me to feel genuine when I'm smiling and laughing rather than something like the Weeper. It felt a little more real and a little, I guess, easier for me to access. Yeah, I guess.
0: It's a bit of a weird question. It's something I've always wondered when you see someone who's crying a lot on screen. Are they like putting drops in your eyes? Oh yeah, you're going to love this.
1: Okay, so (laughs) to to start that series of shots, you know, like I said, I think it was like a seven, eight hour day on the one day and it was... It was a lot of days on set. For the first few days, it was all, a lot of it was mental. Like, I would just put myself in a headspace to try and start crying. Um, You're not thinking about crying. It's more so just putting yourself in that mood, right? And so I had, like, (laughs) this is going to be stupid. I had Linkin Park going in my head because that was, it was shot just shortly after Chester had uh, killed himself, right? Right. And I was just started to think, like, that kind of stuff, and I used that. To put me in the headspace of roughly what this character is going through of the suffering and the pain uh, so the, for the first while yeah they were they were real tears that I was crying and they can use clever camera angles and there was um, for the CG shots of like the, the colored tears when you see it those were done with like a, I can't even just desc- I don't know what the substance is but they actually put an eye drop there so that it would be solid and they could CG that or sorry enhance it with blue coloring like you see in the show but for the later shots, when I couldn't cry because I hadn't hydrated and I was just done, uh, they were using everything. So there's like a, a kind of chapstick that they can put under your eye. And what it is, it's like Vix, right? If you've ever had yeah. like that Vix rub kind of stuff. And it just, the fumes cause you to start crying. They also had a blower where they, they would just go like <laughs> and shoot it right into your eye. just Like, like a coma test. Yeah, except it had a little bit of that um irritant in it so that you would start to cry. Uh, (laughs) So I had both of those going, plus whatever mental stuff I was using to try and get into the character. Uh but it was still really hard by the end of the day because I've just I'm done, right? Like I'm just Yeah, I imagine that was pretty draining. Well I was also um stupidly not using a stunt performer. So a lot of my some of my work had what would qualify as stunt so even simple things like climbing a fence or hanging from chains right uh, they kept offering for a lot of the scenes like hey we don't need your we don't see your face in this shot we can just bring in Danny your stunt your stunt guy and I was like you know what no I'm fine because I'm one of those people that just wants to be involved in every part of it and I just felt like if I was there more I could actually sink into it more yeah but I didn't realize like the stress of. Not quite hanging, but it looks like I'm hanging from chains. Like, it still wears your muscles out, and it, it just physically fatigues you. Uh, so I probably should have had just a double come in for a little bit, just to... Oh, less of Yeah, and that's one of the things I'm learning more so to be... You know, we all have this image in our head of, like, Oh, I'm a professional on that means I mean, I want to do everything. I want to be there. But it's, it's actually sometimes the better choice to walk away, because that's why the stunt double is there, or the double of any kind is there, is to fill in those gaps when you're not needed so that you can come back and give a better performance right
0: i think that's danny Trejo talks about how he always lets a stunt man through his stunts because if he gets injured then so many people are out of a job
1: yeah and i i remember reading that after right and i was like fuck this makes so much sense right it yeah isn't in, it it it's hard to toe that line because it really feels selfish when you read what danny Trejo has mentioned yeah it's very selfish to kind of put yourself in that position. Be like, I'm going to do everything. And if I get hurt, who cares? Right. Um, there's that part of me that always just wants to be doing everything. So I just have to, it sounds fun as well. Well, Like until you're doing it. Right. Like I, I climbed the fence I think, 18 times. And for me, I didn't even realize that that was a stunt because I'm just, it doesn't seem like such a big deal. Right. Like it's a small fence. I'm just going to climb this fence. Who cares? Uh, but I got one of the, one of the takes, one of the metal rods from the fence went right through the crotch of my pants. So I was, like, hung upside down because I was stuck. I couldn't go anywhere, and I don't want to rip the pants because it's the only pair they have because I'm a very small, like, physically hard to get clothes for. So I'm just hanging there, and then I'm like, right, this could have gone right through my my organ. Yeah. And I would have been pretty boned, and then the production would have been pretty boned, right, because I'm the only guy that they Does cast. Does that
0: footage exists on B-roll somewhere?
1: You know what? It probably exists on B-roll. There's just going to be a shot of me, like, standing like sorry straddling this fence just kind of shrugging my shoulders looking at the camera and then as i'm like falling it's definitely got some main potential the side, i if anyone in out there is listening and has that footage we should get that
0: yeah yeah put, put <laughs> that up on the website were you a fan of the comics previously
1: um i had never read the flash comics i my dabbling with comics as a kid was usually on road trips just whatever we could get from the drugstore right like i didn't collect comics as a kid but we would go and if we were taking like a six hour road trip my dad would just buy whatever he found in the store so sometimes i would read uh like spider-man sometimes i would read transformers but i don't remember reading too much of the flash i mean i may have read a justice league comic comic when i was younger but can't speak to the flash specifically fair enough um what are some of
0: your favorite other shows or films you've had the opportunity to work on
1: I really liked The Magicians. That was a really fun show for me because that was was before The Flash, I think. Uh, Even if it wasn't, it it just felt for me I got to really play a bad guy, which I hadn't had the opportunity to do before because I had just slightly changed my look. Uh, I used to be very, very clean cut, like short hair, just a little bit of stubble, And at that point, I was going through some personal challenges, and I was kind of just like, fuck it, and let my hair grow. I let my beard grow out. And that's actually when I auditioned for The Flash. And then between shooting The Flash, I think, and the next thing... I'd actually auditioned and booked the Magicians with the same appearance. So I was like, "All right, we're keeping the the scruff, beaten down kind of look because it's working." Yeah. And that was a span of like eight months where almost everything on my IMDb I booked within that eight months, like Supernatural, Flash, Magicians, iZombie, Zombie, um, when I had that rougher look. So I think I really enjoyed the Magicians because that was a character that, again, I wish just existed longer because uh, he was so much fun to be as a as a bad guy who is. Uh, if you've seen the show, he's a cannibal. They're trapped in, in the the I don't even know the name of it now. I can't remember. But they're trapped where they are. All the portals have frozen, and the heroes come in, and he's you know playing kind, playing nice, making them think he's a good guy. But the whole idea is he's gonna kill them and eat them. Right. That's that's his 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 thing. And I just really enjoyed the chance to actually play a character that was darker. Whereas before, I would constantly just be going out for nerds and and tech guys like monitoring room technician i had on legion which again ton of fun on that set but it was a very small role and uh, yeah just as a computer tech guy it's not as fun for me to do as the it's not as cannibal. much a, like growth opportunity through a character yeah and i like I say i think it's just i am naturally going to gravitate towards the darker characters just by virtue of what i'm interested in i yeah. really enjoy that style do you find
0: you gravitate towards the villains in um, films and TV shows you watch?
1: Oh yeah, and I for me when I'm watching a show, it, I guess a part of it too. Though I should preface this is, I look at myself and I don't see like if I look in the mirror, I'm not thinking, oh, I'm a leading man. Like I don't see myself in that that frame because in my head I'm like the guys like Brad Pitt, George Clooney, that's a leading man look. I know that I'm with my look, I'm a character guy. Yeah, uh, that's very distinct and that's not bad for me to say. I recognize I'm a character actor. And it's always the villains when I'm watching shows or movies that I'm most drawn to because they are just, they're like the hero. They think they're their own hero in their story, right? That's how you write a good villain, is just he's his own hero. He thinks he's doing the right thing. So I'm always reading and, sorry, I'm always watching the villains, paying attention to them because they are way more fascinating to me with their character arcs than the typical hero's journey because we all know the typical hero's journey. And when you see the villain's development, you're, you're blown away. I think the first time I really saw that was No Country for Old Men. Right? Oh, yeah. that yeah. He's so interesting to watch.
0: He's just terrifying but the he, whole time without even doing anything.
1: Exactly. And yeah. that's the kind of, like, power that I love to see. And he's not, like, I guess Javier Bardem, he is physically, he's an intimidating guy. And yeah. And even the character, Anton Shukra, is, is intimidating, but in just a different way. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't have to. He's just scary. It's chilling. And I think a, a good... Contrast to that is I can't remember the actor's name right now, but the uh, the man who plays Moriarty in Sherlock. Oh yeah, very yeah. different style, but equally terrifying as as a villain. I guess
0: I guess it's good uh, not to say the actor's name for uh, people who haven't seen season yeah. one. So
1: fair enough. Big spoiler alert. Yeah. I mean, it's been eight, it's like been like eight years. Come on, yeah. there's a statute of limitations there. Are you a new DM? Are you an experienced DM? Doesn't matter. Listen to DMs of Vancouver for great DMing advice.
0: I think um, the the fellow who made that's making Dracula now. Oh, cool! Uh, you know the the uh, the ultimate villain, Dracula.
1: <laughs> Dracula, and I guess yeah, that was the earliest one of the earliest film villains that we ever saw.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Dracula fan. I haven't seen the show. I intend to watch it, but the book is fantastic.
1: All oh, the like Bram Stokers. Yeah, um, I've I've not read a lot of the old school monster stuff. I mean, You
0: expect I, it to be kind of dry, but it's really gripping.
1: Yeah, and I always feel bad when people talk about it. Like, I haven't read uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I haven't read uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. I know that these books exist, and I know as an artist, it's probably something I need to pay attention to. Um, I'm also relatively new to the the acting game. I've yeah. um, only been doing it for like seven, six years even at most. Um, so there's a lot of things that I recognize like i got to brush up on. I'm familiar with the, the history of them in cinema, like Wolfman, yeah, uh, Frankenstein's monster and how significant they've been throughout throughout history. Like we're always seeing remakes of them like every ten years we're making a new Dracula movie or Dracula inspired film or a Wolfman film.
0: Well, if you want to get into it actually, I listened to the audiobook and um, the way that Dracula is written is that each chapter is from the diary of one of the characters. And there's like many characters throughout and uh Tim Curry narrated Van Helsing <laughs> during his ones and it was it was fantastic performances. Really gripping way to listen to it.
1: How how old is the audio recording?
0: Uh I would say it's maybe late two thousands.
1: Okay, so yeah. somewhat recent.
0: Yeah, I mean we're not sponsored, but it's an Audible original. I think. Okay. I think. Anyway, well, it's very good. Luckily
1: I have three free audiobooks from Audible when I signed up for Amazon. Oh nice
0: if you had a promo code i'd let you uh <laughs> i'd let you spruik it now but so you've also performed on the on the stage
1: uh, uh yeah and it's usually the the performance the stage performances i've done for the most part are actually i guess i wouldn't they're a little less traditional i think is the best way to s- describe it um, one of my one of the shows that i did was called This Is Really Important. I don't know if that's on my resume somewhere, I'm sure. But we used audience participation, like improv sections throughout the show on top of what was actually scripted and what was going on. So that was a fun experience for me because I always, with theater, I'm much more interested in non-traditional than traditional. So things that kind of break the rules or do things differently. Or immersive theater. Immersive theater's really interesting to me. One of the other shows I did was A Game of You. And that was a fascinating experience it was technically demanding uh but it was such a unique experience in that you got f- you didn't get it directly but you almost almost directly got feedback from your audience yeah and your audience was a audience member of one it was essentially this circuit uh circuitous route through uh, a, a maze to the, to the to the audience member would be amazed we obviously know everything about where we're going and the whole premise of the show was to get information from these people so that we could then become an avatar of them and present back to them and like act like their mirror so at the very end they're watching us pretend to be them while interacting with another person and it was very unique way to to learn about just the the many different types of people in vancouver and how everyone has their own like story and their own challenges and their own growth and some of them recognize it some of them don't is that show still going on no, so I mean, it, great. it's still going on in some scope in a various city somewhere, because I know that that show is, is frequently being being done. It is a challenge, because typically what they do is they have to get the people who created it to come out and set everyone up and show them how it's done. Um, because there's like a timeline, you got to adhere to this timeline, you got to very specifically hit all these technical notes. If it does come back, I would be very interested, almost to go through it, even though I know the gimmick and I know how it's done, i would just so curious about what it would say about me and what they would reveal about me because there's stuff that we would reveal about people while performing that they weren't necessarily aware of but that they were projecting and what they were saying
0: was the the onus on you to come up with that or was there someone watching and giving you directions
1: so i can walk you through it if we've got yeah. time so it's the way it would work um and if you are planning on seeing the show maybe stop listening at this moment i don't want to give it away but essentially you start off in a room And I would be behind a two-way mirror watching you. And you're just sitting in like this waiting room interacting with another person. So already I'm picking up mannerisms, behaviors. And if you say anything, I'm picking up what you say. And then we take you to another room and we sit you down. And then I might replicate, you will see me now. And I'll replicate some of the physical movements that you did. Or I'll ask you questions. Like if you poured yourself water, I might ask, why did you pour water? So now I'm just getting basic little questions out. And we go through another one and it's kind of... You see an image of someone on a screen, and I'll just ask you questions like, who do you think they are? What do you think they do? What do you think their name is? And through that, people often project, right? They project their own uh, feelings or their own ideas onto it. So you can kind of pull from what they're saying that they're actually talking about themselves in some cases. But the biggest, most important one was the last one that I would get to, which was a phone call, where they would receive a phone call from this person that they created in the previous room, this idea, and it's usually within that that they're going to reveal, like, a dream they had as a kid that they never followed up on. And then you can ask why. Like, why didn't they do it? Or they can reveal something that they're unhappy with in their life. And then you can figure out why or what they can do so that the final experience that they get is they're now the one sitting behind the one-way mirror at the very end watching you be them. What? It was mind-blowing. Did anyone
0: ever have, like, negative reactions
1: um there were definitely some adverse reactions um there were a lot of a lot of positive reactions but there were some people in and i guess i don't want to say negative in the sense that like they were like trashing the show or anything it's just some people are uncomfortable facing their own stuff that they put out there um i don't want to go into too much detail just because i want to kind of protect some people but there were we were met once with a little bit of hostility where a person just refused to even give us their name. They didn't want to do that. They were uncomfortable answering any questions. And then when we just, like, replicated even that, so that that anger and that frustration of, like, I just refused to participate in this experience. So when they were in the final room and they were watching that, they walked out. They were like, I don't want to deal with this. So all we did was we didn't make any assumptions about them. We didn't judge them. We just did exactly what they did, which was... Refused to participate and when someone was confronted with that they did not respond In you know necessarily the way that the show would hope. but the show was actually just meant to get a response We just want you to respond somehow So I thought that that was actually as Challenging as it was and as you know adverse a reaction as it was that we weren't expecting. I think it was still Kind of what the show was about we made someone confront Just themselves without making any of it up, and I think that was always the trick we were told was you are not allowed to make anything up. Anything you do or say has to come from what they do or say. Yeah. So I, I felt bad because that was a person that I was physically avataring for. Like, that was my, my candidate. So I did feel bad that that was the response that they had, but I also had to look back on, like, I...
0: Well, that's all they gave you. That's what
1: they gave me was yeah. nothing. And if they're not happy that I'm doing nothing or they're frustrated that I'm acting the way that they did, then maybe they need to reflect on themselves. Because, again, like, I... Can't stress that we do not make stuff up.
0: I feel like 50-50 if I went in there, I'd either just be so amazed I have a nervous breakdown. <laughs>
1: like, that's what I'm like? <laughs> well, the, the best, the, some of the funnest reactions were when we're replicating someone in that room and they're behind the one way, like that that mirror there, that they can see us, we can't see them. You'd hear laughing from the other side. You'd hear that person that you're pretending to be just laughing their ass off because they recognize like, yeah, I did say that and I do do this and that is who I am. Yeah. And I think that was always a ton of fun for us. It kind of threw the other person in the room off, just hearing all this laughter coming from behind a wall. But I think those were the ones that we were like afterwards we talk about like that was awesome when we got someone to just recognize and laugh. What's the show called again? It was called A Game of You.
0: A Game of You. So I guess look that up if it's in your city.
1: Yeah, and their idea was to tour it uh, around like some of the big cities in North America and Europe. So hopefully it's somewhere right now.
0: Well, um, thanks so much for coming and talking to me today, man. Yeah, no problem. Is there anything uh, you'd like to plug on the way out? Uh,
1: yeah, okay. I just want to quickly talk about two things. If oh, I have yeah. Time. The one being I am in the early stages of putting on an awards show. I'm going to be starting my own awards show for people in the Vancouver film and TV industry that do not normally get awards because the industry, I guess, you know, a lot of the public don't care. But I'm talking about people like, you know, the caterers or a lot of the grips and these kinds of people who are always working furiously behind the scenes but don't get recognized. So right now I'm working on a project hopefully to get it off the ground and running in like spring, summer where we're going to do that and have an actual award show and we're gonna be giving out awards to i think like we have 20 different categories ranging from best best boy just as like the play on words there or even to something that i jokingly call like the best short film that nobody saw so like there's tons of films that don't get into festivals but let's just find one that's really good there's a ton of really good films that no one sees so the idea is to show uh, everyone in vancouver like these are the people that are working constantly that we don't recognize so, it's kind of a way to say thank you, but it's also going to be tongue in cheek and a lot of fun. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to quickly plug uh, I. Oh, quickly, before we move on,
0: mm-hmm. um, do, do you have a venue for that already? Uh, can people... No, like
1: this is like super early planning. We have a venue that we've selected. We're just waiting to hear back from them. So, I'm not going to put anyone's name out there until right. I
0: get 100% confirmation. And w- where can people uh, get updates on that? There's
1: going to be a Facebook page. We're working on, like, this is all super coming together at the last yeah. minute here. Um, but we're putting together a Facebook page. It'll probably be something we're toying with two different names right now where we don't want to get on anyone's copyright. Right. So we were jokingly going to call it the little Leos or something like the Bobcats or the Cougars just to make fun of the Leos. Um, yep. We're still workshopping the name. So once that's up, generally you'll probably be able to find it because I'll, I'll name the Facebook page just like the Vancouver Film Industry Awards or something like that. Um, again, I'm plugging something we'll, that's in'll we'll give very... you a signal boost on it. Yeah comes out. I'm plugging something that's in the very early stages right now, but that's just like a current project that I'm doing during the slow season. Yeah. The other thing I want to quickly plug, uh, an executive produced a film called Zero, and you can't watch it, unfortunately, because it's being in festivals, but I just want people out there to know, like, they made a short film with zero waste from top to bottom.
0: Oh, that's something. There amazing. was a
1: zero waste short film that was made called Zero. It's about a zero waste serial killer. So yeah, everything... We've
0: got time if you want to expound on that a bit.
1: Uh, I'll quickly touch on it. Yeah. I was not part of like the actual filmmaking of it. I... I come from things as an executive producer, so I like to just throw money at something that I like until I don't have to like figure out the problems, like how to do it. But I thought it was a really cool idea. So what I what we did was they made, a, I think it's like 13 minutes long, zero waste serial killer. So the story about a serial killer teaching people how to kill people you know, with no waste. So I think that was just a clever way to do it. It's a little bit dark. It's funny. It's got a lot of comedic moments in it because it's meant to be like that kind of, that style but what was most impressive was it was done with zero waste from the power that they used so they got um generators that were all solar so they didn't have to or that had come pre-charged from solar so there was no power waste the uh, the garbage everything was reusable so everyone was using reusable water bottles reusable utensils that kind of stuff so it was really impressive to see and to know that it's possible so when you hear folks talking about how like oh we there's no way that you can reduce waste on a film set it's like well These folks did a pretty good job of zero-waste filmmaking. And it's currently trying to get into festivals, so there's nowhere to watch it yet. Uh, I know they're talking potential distribution, but that's also to be seen. I know a lot of stuff I'm talking about you can't physically see right now. Well, can people follow
0: you online anywhere to get updates on these things? uh,
1: Yeah, they can follow my Instagram or... That's usually the best place to find me is Instagram or Facebook, potentially. Um, anything that you just find, Matt Afonso. I'm really the only one out there.
0: We'll link that in the show notes as well. Yeah, thank you. Anyway, thank you. Thanks for listening to Van X Van. You can find me on Twitter at Doug Vandalay and the show at Van X Van Cast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podchaser or iTunes. It's the best way for us to grow at no cost to you. We're also on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cavegoblins. I'm Doug Vandalay. See you next time. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.